Good morning, church. Glad each and every one of you are here this morning. You know, the Bible tells us that this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And especially today when we have so many young people coming to profess to you that they unashamedly belong to the Lord Jesus because he saved them. You know, the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. And that's what has happened in the lives of these students. They know that baptism doesn't save them. Baptism is something that they do because they are saved and identifies them with the Lord Jesus, who himself was baptized. But it also identifies them with their new life in Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross, he died. But three days later, praise the Lord, he rose again. And so when these students come and they profess to you, that's what they are professing, that they believe that Jesus is the Lord and he's the Lord of their life. Amen? Our first candidate is Maddie James Kemp. Maddie, one night after youth on a Wednesday night, uh, said she needed to speak to me, and the Holy Spirit was working in her heart and life, and it was that night that she gave her life to the Lord Jesus. Maddie James, is it your profession of faith that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith and in an obedience to our Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister Maddie, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Are any family members, friends of Maddie James here? Would you please stand? Next, we have Madison Waddell. Madison also came to me on a Wednesday night after youth group in the same thing. The Lord was working on her heart and life, and she gave her life to the Lord Jesus on that Wednesday night. Amen. Madison, is it your profession of faith that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith and in obedience with our Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister, Madison, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Would Madison's family and friends please stand? Amen. Next we have Emsley Christian. She's here, I promise. She's like, <laughs> she's right here. <laughs> I'm not a ventriloquist, so when you hear words come from her mouth, it's her mouth. <laughs> Emsley was saved on a Sunday morning at Jordan's Worship. I can't express to you the importance 
of bringing your family to church. They're introduced to the gospel. So thankful for a church that loves and supports our children's and youth ministries the way that it does. But she gave her heart and her life to the Lord Jesus on a Sunday morning at children's worship. And so, Emsley, is it your profession of faith that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes, sir. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister Emsley, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Would Emsley's family and friends please stand? Next, we have Anna Hegler. Anna's another one of those who came to me on a Wednesday night after youth group, expressed some of those same questions, and she gave her heart and her life to the Lord Jesus on a Wednesday night after youth. So, Anna, is it your profession of faith that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes, sir. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith and in obedience to our Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister Anna, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Next, we have her twin brother, Will. She's a lot prettier than you are. <laughs> Will came the night that Anna came as well, and he got saved that same night. So we're very thankful for that. Will, is it your profession that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith... It's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother, Will, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Would Will and Anna's family please stand, that we might know? Amen. Thank you for being here. Next. We have Bentley Lancaster. I said, you say Lancaster or Lancaster? I do the country version, Lancaster, okay? <laughs> Bentley, on a Sunday morning before church, asked to speak about his salvation, and it was that morning that he gave his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus. Bentley, is it your profession of faith that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes, sir. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith and in obedience to our Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Bentley, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Would Bentley's family please stand? Family and friends of Bentley, please stand. Amen. can't think of a better way to start a service. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for those who've obeyed in believer's baptism this morning. If, if 
you're seated out here. Maybe that's a decision you need to make. We want to encourage you to do that. You've never been baptized. You've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but have never identified with him in believer's baptism. We would love to talk to you more. We'll have a date set up soon. We have others uh, that need to be baptized that have recently made decisions. Isn't it great to hear about people coming to know Jesus? That needs to continue, folks. People are looking and searching for hope. Uh, even our, we'll talk a little bit more about, about our last lesson uh, this week in our Master Life series. But anyway, uh, that's, that's great to see. We want to uh, uh, thank all of our guests that are with us today. Thank you so much for being with us in worship. If you would do us a favor, there's a care card. It's located there in the pew rack uh, just in front of you. Take a moment to fill in your information. Uh, there's a place in the back where you can request information from us. And then also for all of us is an opportunity for you to fill in prayer requests. And we do get those. We read those. We pray for you. So take a moment, and that's for everybody. Fill those cards in as you leave today. There are two giving boxes. They're located on either side of the double door as you go outside the building. Uh, there are two white boxes there. You can place those cards there, and they'll be sure to get those to us in the right hands. So, but again, thank you for being with us uh, today. There are several ways that you can keep informed in what's going on uh, here at Pitts Baptist Church. I know announcements sometimes there's a lot of stuff thrown at you. But let me let you know, first of all, is the QR code that's on the screen. If you take your phone out, you can actually open your camera and open that. Those announcements are archived in there, even from weeks past, where you can go and look and see what's going on. I, I don't know how many times during the week I'm out and about, and somebody asks me, hey, Kevin, when is that event? I'm like, hang on. I can pull that back up my phone, look at those details, and have those handy uh, with me. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, um, also on the study sheet, uh, you'll notice we've added that QR code to your study sheet. When you go home and you have that study sheet with you and you think, oh, when was such and such? Go right over that study sheet from Pastor Scott's notes and that QR code is also there which will tie you to those uh, different links to find those events. There's a printed calendar for March. The new ones are out. They're at the information desk. You say, I'm not with all this QR code and uh, internet stuff. I don't have all that. Go by and get a calendar for March at the information desk. They have new ones printed for you there. And then the Friday morning email blast comes out uh, every Friday with the announcements. If you go to pbcweb.org, you can sign up for that and get that automatically to your phone or your computer every Friday morning to know what's going on. I want to encourage you to have those so you can be involved what's happening here at Pitts Baptist. Just a few things that are pertinent to the next few uh, days or in the week. Uh, ladies, get your tickets for an upcoming event called Living Abundantly. Uh, the Tale of Two Trees, that's on Thursday, March 14th. Tickets are available at the information desk. But that event is on March 14th at 6.30 uh, in the core uh, gym, and that is uh, $10. Those tickets are, those will be available through March 10th. Our quarterly breakfast for community groups is next Sunday at 8.30 in the core gym. Come by a little bit early uh, for some time of fellowship and food down in the core gym. That happens right before community groups. We want to encourage everybody to be involved in a community group. Had some visitors this morning come and be a part of our community groups. Uh, come, that's where you really get to know people here at our church. Our grief share ministry is starting new classes this Tuesday, and we have a table set up in the lobby uh, just to my right out that side. Uh, ladies and some folks will be there. Uh, if you have questions about that, would love to get you some details on that class starting this Tuesday. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed our Master Life series that we've done as a, a, an entire church for the last 12 weeks. We've heard great comments as a staff, and you'll be listening next year about the same time. We hope to do this again 
as a church family. So be listening for those details. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, though. I know I have. Uh, This last week, we've talked about doing this Christian life together. We do this together. God has a specific plan for you. If you're a a follower of Jesus, you were given at least one spiritual gift uh, when you were saved, when you became a a Christian. And God wants us to use those gifts, to to exercise those gifts. Uh, We need to encourage each other to be a part of God's kingdom work. And we do that by using the gifts that God has given us. So I want to say our verses together this week. Can we do that? Get those on the screen. We can say that together. We'll say the reference and then the verse and the reference again. It's Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Folks, do we not see the day approaching of the Lord? We're one day closer every day to the Lord's return. Let's remember that as we go to prayer together. Can we do that? God, we do thank you for this day, and we praise you, God, for those that have made this decision for baptism as a public testimony of the decision they've made to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that you would use them in great ways. We thank you that they have said yes to this act of obedience. And God, we pray that the other things that you ask them to do in days to come, that they would also say yes to those, uh, that you would use them in a powerful way, in a great way. God, I pray that you'd be with Pastor this morning as he brings the message that you've given to him, God, that we would be challenged through the power of your Holy Spirit God, we do this thing this, uh, as a church and living life as a believer. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to spur each other on to good works. And I pray we would be about that. And God, that we as a church, as we move forward, would be about your business, about your work, God, your kingdom work. Just challenge us with that today. I know that in this room there are many needs uh, represented there are families who have even lost loved ones uh, this week. We, we pray for the Ford family who have lost Edie, who has lost her dad this week, God. We, we pray for that family. There are other needs. I know Bob Brooks is here this morning. God, I, I continue to pray for him in the home going of his, of his wife, God. Just comfort him and be with him in a special way even today, God. For the other needs right now, you know those, God, and are even hearing silent prayers going up from from those seated in the pews. God, I pray you give them wisdom to know how to handle those situations, God. Just give us a wonderful day today as we sing, as we lift up our voices, as we hear this message. God, it would be pleasing, a, a pleasing aroma to you today, God, as we worship you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Would you stand as we join together? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Sing with me. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water. 
series and talk about going out into the world to face a task unfinished as we tell others and do together what only Jesus can do in their lives. We'll sing this new song. It's a new, newer hymn by the Gettys who are some of our modern hymn writers. It's based on the church's one foundation, so you know the tune. And I just taught you the extra chorus at the end. So let's sing it together. Pay attention to the words. The words of this um, hymn are so great. Let's sing it together as a church this morning.
chapter 12 in your copy of the scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll look this morning at the theme, running the Christian race. Uh, You know, Kevin mentioned when we started this, it's hard to believe uh, that was 12 weeks ago, actually 13 weeks ago when you factor in uh, the special uh, Christmas Sunday. Uh, 13 weeks ago we started this. It reminds you how quickly time goes by. I trust that uh, it's been a spiritually enriching uh, time in your own life as you've been going through your assignments uh, each day. And uh, again, today we want to close that process out by looking at a passage that deals with running the Christian race, a passage that was uh, in our unit this week. Uh, Let me also mention uh, this afternoon just a housekeeping matter real quickly. Uh, the visitation for D.D. D. Ford's father begins today at 3 p.m. at Forest Lawn West in Charlotte. Just straight down 85 uh, to the Tuckasegee exit just right past Brookshire Boulevard. And that begins at 3 and then the funeral is at 1 o'clock tomorrow. So please pray for D.D. D. and uh, her family. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read this morning verses 1 through 4. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point Of shedding your blood. Lord the scripture tells us that we are to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call upon him while he is near. Perhaps there are those this morning that need to do that. Others that need to get back in the Christian race. Realizing it's a marathon. They've grown discouraged perhaps over something. And uh, they need to look to you, look for strength and encouragement from you, and they need to press on and finish their race and finish well. God, enable them to do so, help them to do so. 
And God, we're so grateful for the power of your Holy Spirit. We are not alone in the Christian race. May we look to him moment by moment, day by day, to help us live faithfully. Lord, open our hearts and minds this morning. Teach us your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you remember the story of a woman by the name of Rosie Ruiz. Rosie Ruiz. She ran in the 1980 Boston Marathon and she set the all-time record for that particular race for a female runner. But the problem was it was all a lie. It was a fraud. You see, Rosie began the Boston Marathon just like everybody else in the race that day. But at some point near the beginning, she fell out of the race and she completely disappeared from sight. What she did next is that she snuck away down to the nearest subway station and she caught a train. She got off near the finish line. She waited until the race would have been about over or what she thought in her mind should be her approximate time. And then she fell back into the crowd and ran a half a mile to the finish line. No one had ever heard of Rosie Ruiz. Reporters wanted to know who she was. Why she had beat some of the runners that were expected to win that day. They wanted to know all about her, where she had come from. In one interview afterwards, it was noticed that she was barely sweating. Her hair and her makeup was still in good condition. Her skin was not even flushed. She didn't seem that tired or, or winded. The reporter asked her how many marathons she had run in. She said it was only her second. She had run the year before in the New York Marathon. And the reporter asked her time for that. And the reporter was surprised that she had shaved almost 25 minutes off of the marathon from the year before. And so the, marathon, uh, the reporter started asking her, Rosie, what have you done to increase your speed so much? Have you been running inter intervals? And Rosie said, I've heard that, that word used before, intervals. I don't really know exactly what those are, what you're asking. Well, they started digging more and more and more until they finally learned she had not run the full length of the marathon at all. In fact, she had barely run any of it. She was a fraud. And since then, additional security measures have been put into marathons so they won't repeat an embarrassment like that again. Folks, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the Christian life is like a race. And we know it's not a sprint, it is a marathon. A marathon takes discipline, it takes perseverance to finish and to finish well. Early on in our Master Life books, we saw that we are called to be Christ's disciples. And as disciples, we are to deny ourselves, 
We're to count the cost of being a follower of Christ. We're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and we are to follow Jesus. And oftentimes there's nothing easy about this. Because there are so many things in life, so many things in the world that would hinder us. There are things that could easily knock us off course. There are things that could make us even want to give up and quit. But we know that we're to stay the course, we're to finish our race. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. We are to run the Christian race and we're to run it well and we are to finish well. And that's not something that's going to happen by accident. There's some things that it's going to involve. It's going to take a a great deal of, of purpose and intention. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see here in this text. I want you to notice with me four things this morning. First of all, if we're going to run well and finish well, we must look around. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Whoever wrote the letter or the epistle to Hebrews, just like the apostle Paul, it's evident he enjoyed Sports metaphors. Now let me mention something. If you're reading from the King James Version this morning, you'll notice the title to the book of Hebrews says the epistle of of Paul to the Hebrews. Now we know that the titles to the books are not part of the inspired scripture. They were added later. We affirm the inerrancy of Scripture, that is, it is without error. It is infallible. We affirm the infallibility, the inerrancy of the Word of God. But again, the titles are not inerrant. Since early on in the church, down to our current day, it's, it's collectively agreed that the Apostle Paul was probably not the writer uh, to Hebrews. There's just too many things. We won't get into all that this morning. That's more of an academic study. But it's probably somebody that was associated with Paul, maybe even one of his traveling companions. But again, just like the Apostle Paul, evidently he loved sports metaphors. You know, speaking of Paul, I think if he were alive today, his favorite cable station may be ESPN. He spoke to the Corinthians about running. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. That is, obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So in Corinthians, he speaks not only of running, but also of boxing. He spoke to young Timothy about fighting the good fight of faith. So again, Paul, as well as some of the other biblical writers, enjoyed sports analogies to some degree. We need to remember in the ancient Greco-Roman world, they were as obsessed as we are today about athletics. 
And so the writer of Hebrews begins by telling us that we have this great cloud of witnesses. It's like a stadium full of witnesses surrounding us. And their purpose is they give us motivation and encouragement. Now who is this cloud of witnesses? Well, I would encourage you this afternoon to drop back to chapter 11 and you can read who he's referring to. Because he mentions 17 Old Testament saints by name in Hebrews 11. There's people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel. The list goes on and on and on. There's some that he refers to there not by name. So 17 named and others unnamed. Probably you would meet just about any of your favorite Old Testament Bible characters as you read Hebrews 11. And this cloud of witnesses is not simply there to be entertained. They're not mere spectators. In fact, the word that us are watching us every day. I know a lot of people like to think that, you know, as they're driving down the road in the morning... Uh, maybe going down the interstate highway, commuting to work. Maybe they think, you know, grandma's right here with me. She's in the passenger seat and she's with me. She's gone, but she's watching over me every day. There's no place in the Bible that, that actually teaches that. The point here is that they themselves fought the good fight of faith. They ran their course. And what their lives bear witness to us of is the faithfulness of God. It's not they who are watching us. It's we who are watching them. You say, well, how do we watch them? They're gone. We look at their lives through the testimony of Scripture. We read about them in Scripture. We look at their lives. We look at their faith. We look at how they lived out their faith. We look at all the the trials and the tests and the struggles that they had. We look at all of this through the testimony of Scripture. And all of these people are a great encouragement to us. They serve as wonderful examples. They've left quite a legacy for us on the pages of the Bible. But there's one thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that they are gone now. They've run their race. They've finished their race. It's you and I that are in our race now. And God wants to work in our lives as he worked in their lives. After all, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the scripture says. In 1 Corinthians 10, the apostle Paul says, The things that happened to the saints of old serve as as an example to us of how God wants to work in us. So we need to look at their lives and we need to be motivated. We need to be encouraged. Their lives speak to us even though they've passed on. We walk in their shadows. Church, think this morning about the legacy of believers who have come before us. In church history, you could come through the Reformation. 
you could think of your own family, maybe ho- hopefully a, a godly legacy in your own family. People that you think of in your family set a wonderful example for you. Think of the local church here at Pitts Baptist. I, I think of the legacy that those who started this church in 1943 left for us. You know, in, in the downtown Concord area in 1943, I'm told that people down there thought that the folks out here that started Pitts Baptist Church were crazy because who would want to start a church in the commi- uh, Pitts community? There's nothing in the Pitts community but cows and trees. But think of the sacrifices that those people made. Think of people in your own family, sacrifices they made. That there was a point in time that you came to faith in Christ. We stand on the shoulders of many people. And we're grateful for their witness. We think of the saints in Hebrews 11. We're grateful for the way they followed the Lord and lived out their faith. And one thing we're being told here in the scripture that it was not very easy for any of them. You look back and you see what they went through and the price that they paid to serve God. I mean, they paid a huge price. But God was faithful to each and every one of them. For example, Joseph. Joseph experienced more heartache than any of us could imagine. He was going to be murdered by his brothers, but instead they decided to sell him into slavery. He ended up down in Egypt in prison. He spent years in prison. And I'm sure there were days that Joseph felt like all hope was lost. But there was God working in his life. And Joseph went from a prison cell to being the prime minister of Egypt. He ended up saying to his brothers later in life, What you meant for evil, God used for good. Is that a lesson you need to learn today? Despite through the suffering you may be going through, or the rejection, or the loneliness... Folks, God can use all of that in your life for his purposes and for good. And where is it that we learn lessons like this? We learn these lessons from Bible characters. And again, seeing how God worked in their lives. And that's why these Hebrew Christians are being told to look to the example of this cloud of witnesses. Because here they are. They were Jewish believers. Jews who had come to faith in Christ. And because they were Jews coming to faith in Christ. They've been turned against by their family members and by their community. They are being maligned. They are being mistreated. They they are being persecuted. Some of them have had their families completely shun them. Some of them have lost their livelihoods. And so they were paying a huge price for being believers. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling them, don't give up. Don't give up. Look back at this cloud of witnesses from your Old Testament. Because you'll see, if you'll look at their lives and how God used them, you'll see that God made a way for them when there seemed to be no way. God came through for them and God helped them. God will give you strength too. 
So stay in your race. Run your race. Don't let discouragement, don't let trials and tests, don't let circumstances get in your way. And that's why he begins here by telling them to look around at this cloud of witnesses. But he tells them a second thing. He says, we must look within. We must look within. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There's going to have to be an inward look, some personal dedication and discipline in their lives and in our lives. Now, for 12 weeks now, going through Master Life, they've spoken to us about different disciplines that we need to develop. And we need to continue in those Christian disciplines. And what the writer here is saying is we must look within to cast aside hindrances. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Now, the word encumbrance here refers to weights. The ancient runners would cast clothing aside. That, that may be the best image. They would shed their clothing before a race. Sometimes the ancient runners, the ancient athletes would practice and compete in the nude. They would get rid of all excess weight. I was surprised to learn this week about jockeys. I didn't know this, but until recent years, they had what were called he heaving bowls in their stalls before races. Seriously. A heaving bowl is exactly what it sounds like. The jockeys would use the bowls to throw up before a race. In fact, days before the race, they would starve themselves and dehydrate themselves to lose as much weight as possible. And then on race day, they would go into their stall and they would use the heaving bowl to even get rid of more. Now today it's said with all the attention on eating disorders, that's a practice that's not quite out there as much as it used to be, but supposedly in some races, it's still there, it still takes place. I was shocked to learn that it's just the opposite for, for the horses in some horse races. Not all horse races, but some, there's a handicap system. They add weights to the saddles of faster horses to slow them down so that the slower horses might have a chance of competing. Even today, supposedly about 60% of all horse races in, in England are handicapped races. Just like in golf, you have a handicap. They have handicap in horse racing. You know, that kind of seems typical for today's climate, right? Where everything's being tried to be made equal. And if somebody succeeds, you know, you got to do something to slow them down in some way. And they're doing that in horse racing. But here in our passage, we're being told to cast aside hindrances. In other words, he's saying travel light. You and I have to deal with the clutter, the spiritual clutter in our lives. That's affecting our Christian walk. You have any clutter in your homes? You have any clutter in your closets or your garages? I know, I know we do. Isn't it amazing how you'll hang on to 
$2 a yard sale junk in your garage while a $35,000 car sits out in the weather? <laughs> Clutter! Well, spiritually speaking, maybe there's clutter in your life. He's not talking about sin at this point. He's going to get there in a minute. But what he's talking about here could even be good things in and of themselves, but it hinders you. It may not hinder somebody else as much, but it hinders you. Are there any things, any Items, any realities like that in your life, any encumbrances, anything weighing you down, anything keeping you from running your race of faith? If there are things like that in your life, I kind of have a sneaking suspicion you know exactly what those things are because maybe God's been dealing with you months or even years over those things. Then he moves on to say we must also look within to cast aside sin. This is the more white and black, obvious. We're not just talking about encumbrances. We're not just talking about things that get in the way. We're talking about sin. And I want you to notice that the sin is not mentioned. I think that's intentional to keep the application as wide as possible because for some it may be laziness. For others it might be fear. For others it may be lust. For others, it may be gossip. For somebody else, it might be a bad temper, an explosive anger. What is it for you? Is there a sin in your life that's clinging to you? Now, for these Hebrew Christians, the sin, the danger was unbelief. Some of them were in danger of going back to Judaism and back to the temple. And that may be why in the Greek text the writer says laying aside the sin. There's something definite that he's talking about in their lives. And almost all commentators believe again for the Jewish Christians he's writing to. That sin in their lives was unbelief. They were facing so much persecution that they were again thinking about leaving Christianity and going back to Judaism. But put your own sin in the blank whatever it is. And notice what he says about sin. What does it do? Some translations say it clings to you. Some translations say it what? It entangles. Do you remember running through the woods as a kid? And maybe you were running through some thick patches of woods where there was a lot of undergrowth and there might be some vines there you'd get all twisted up in. Some of them maybe even had thorns on them. And, I mean, it was hard running through there, wasn't it? Because all that would just kind of cling to you and slow you down. Well, that's what he's saying here sin can do. Sin can also be like quicksand. It can draw us deeper and deeper in. Sin takes us further than we wanted to go. It keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. And it costs us more than we wanted to pay. And in fact, sin can even end up ruining our testimony. We don't lose our salvation, but we can certainly lose our testimony. And you know, it doesn't have to be the big stuff. It can be little things. I remember a, a, a runner 
a, a lady who was both jogging and walking across America several decades ago. She made it, and the reporters asked her at the end of her trek across America what bothered her the most. And the, and the reporter was thinking she would mention things like going over the Rocky Mountains or, you know, tough terrain like deserts. And she said, you know what? It was the little things like the little rocks in the sand that would get in my shoes. The little things. There can be some sin like that in our lives. Little things that we leave there because we think it's little, but it ends up growing. You know, there can be things like that for churches too in the corporate sense. Some churches are eat up with gossip. I'm grateful that as far as we know, you're not. But some churches are eat up with that or a negative spirit. You know, maybe it starts in one small group somewhere and it kind of spreads. Some churches have people at odds with one another. And every week when they meet for worship, there's tension in certain people. I'll never forget Charles Page telling a story. He used to be the pastor at First Baptist of Charlotte before he passed away. And he talked about uh, preaching a revival in a mountain church. And he noticed when he went in, they had a center aisle and just two sections in the church. And everybody in each section would fellowship with one another, but nobody would fellowship with the other side. And he got to check in why, and he found out that years and years ago, there'd been some nasty split in the church, but instead of actually splitting the church, they decided, well, all of those on this side of the argument will sit on one side, all those on the other side of the argument will sit on the other side, and that was decades ago, and the people in the church now were the kids and grandkids of those people, but they thought they needed to honor their parents' and grandparents' memory by keeping that feud going. They didn't even know what they were feuding about anymore craziness sin that can go on in your life can go on corporately and he's saying we need to look within and deal with all of that weights encumbrances bad habits as well as wrongdoing transgressions sin we need to examine all of that in our own hearts is there any of that in your life that is hurting you in your Christian race. He's begging his readers here. Deal with it. Deal with it. It's not worth it. Because you need to run well and you need to finish well. So one day you can hear the words from the Lord. Well done good and faithful servant. Well then thirdly he says we must look ahead. We must look ahead. He says at the end of uh, verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a race set before us. I found it interesting this week to, to study some of the different postures of believers in the Bible. Different postures. He, he, again, he's talking here about running, but the Bible talks about sitting, it talks about walking, talks about standing, talks about running. For instance, our sitting. Paul says in Ephesians 2, already it's as though we sit in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. 
In Ephesians 4, he says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about we're in a spiritual warfare, a battle, he says that we need to stand firm. And here in Hebrews 12, uh, the Bible speaks of our running, which describes our service and our dedication. Running. Let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us. And folks, in our text this morning, that's the main clause, okay? This this is the main thing right here. Running with perseverance. We look around, we see the cloud of witnesses, we look within and deal with sin and hindrances. Uh, As we'll see in a moment, we're to look up. To Jesus for encouragement. But right now he's saying you you need to look ahead. That is run your race. Get in the race. Run your race. And run with endurance. Never give up. We're to run to the end. In spite of trials, setbacks, difficulties in life, disappointments. We're to run. In fact, the very word for running a race here is the word agona, from which we get agony. It refers to a conflict. A race isn't always easy. It can be a fight, a struggle. It's always too soon to quit. It's a marathon. There's sustained effort. Day by day, sustained discipline in the Christian life. And we're never to let down our guard and give, and give up and give in. I'll never forget in high school running cross country how painful one race was. Our school had traveled to West Mecklenburg in Charlotte to run with several high schools. And, and I was battling shin splints. If you're a runner... Uh, or have ever been a runner and you develop shin splints, you know how painful they are. And that, that race, I probably turned in my worst time of the season, but I finished the race. We need to finish our race no matter how difficult the going gets. Don't let disappointments, don't let little things get you off course and out of the race. Maybe somebody says something to you and it discourages you. Folks, stay in the race. Again, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I want you to notice he says it's the race set before you. It's the race set before you. In other words, you and I can't name all the conditions. God has you in your race. And God sets the agenda and the conditions. But God has you in your race. Run and keep running. Persevere and never give up. And I like what they said in day two this week about our spiritual gifts. That's, there's great application in running our race with that. As Kevin mentioned, when you got saved, God gave you at least one spiritual gift to use in Christian service. By using your spiritual gift, that's a way in the church body you can run your race by utilizing your spiritual gift for the good of the body. 
Because collectively, we're not going to be as good in our race, our Christian race as a church, if you're not using your spiritual gift. A fourth thing we must do, we must look up. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's telling them here, Fix your eyes on Jesus. And the words suggest a single eye looking only in one direction. Again, runners know this. If you're in a race and you start hearing foot, footsteps behind you, pounding behind you, the worst thing you can do in your race is to turn around and look and try to figure out who's there. You've got to keep your gaze ahead Keep your eyes fixed ahead on the goal. And he's telling them here, they need to keep their eyes focused forward on Jesus. You're not alone. He's with you. He's the author of faith. He's the one who saved you. He's not only the author. He is the finisher, the perfecter. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's with you and he will help you. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And then he says in verse 3, consider him. Consider him. It, it's a mathematical term. And what he's telling them to do when they get discouraged, is look at everything Christ faced. All the opposition he faced, the mockery, people spitting on him, slapping him, people turning against him, all the accusations that Jesus faced. He's saying, consider him in those trials he went through and add everything up that Christ experienced. All of the bad things that people did against him. And yes, ultimately they put him on the cross. He's saying, add all of that up and consider him. You think you're having a tough time? You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But he did. He went through far more. And yet he was faithful to the Father. He did exactly what the Father had asked him to do in the plan of redemption. He went to the cross and he died for your sin. And he died for my sin. He was our substitutionary atonement. Add up everything they did against him. And then maybe you'll say, maybe I'll say, you know what? What I face, what you face, isn't so much after all, is it? Compared to what he faced. He endured the cross for the joy of the salvation that it would bring. The joy of seeing countless numbers through the ages gathered around the throne of God for all of eternity singing hallelujahs to the Lord. For the joy of seeing that, even though the cross was hard, nothing joyful about that. It was a shameful death. It was a criminal's death at the time. And yet, 
He endured the shame and the pain and the suffering of all of that for the joy of seeing people gathered around his father's throne. He sat down at the right hand of the father, the place of victory, and he says he's there making intercession for us. So it's no wonder here that the last thing he tells them is to fix their eyes on Christ. Focus on him. Consider him. Anytime we get discouraged. Look around. Look within. Look ahead. And look up. And one of these days, none of us knows the time. But one of these days when he calls us home, they'll there, there they will be at the finish line. We could only imagine Abraham and Joshua and Simon Peter and Paul and Timothy saying, welcome home. But best of all, there's Jesus saying, welcome home, my child. Well done, good and faithful servant. mentioned a bad example at the beginning of the message today. I want to mention a good example. 1986 New York City Marathon. 20,000 runners entered the race. And what's so memorable about the 86 New York City Marathon is not who finished first, but who finished last. He finished in the 19,000th, 413th position. Bob. Bob Weiland. He completed the New York City Marathon, not in a typical two and a half hours, three hour race, but he finished his marathon in four days, you heard that right, four days, two hours, 47 minutes and 17 seconds. But what, his, what made his case so special was the fact that he ran on his arms. He had no, his legs had been blown off in the Vietnam War. And so he literally had to pick his torso up and rock forward, sit back down, put his hands forward, pick himself up, rock forward, and set himself down. Time he finished, it had become a media spectacle with everybody cheering him on. And after four, hours, uh, four days, two hours, 47 minutes, and 17 seconds, Bob Weiland finished his race. Well done. Folks, don't forget you're in a race too. Let me give you some takeaway lessons. Lesson number one, the Christian life is a race calling for endurance. The Christian life is a race calling for endurance. Second lesson, Christians need to run their race clean. That is according to the rules. Are there hindrances or sins that will end up destroying your witness? Then you need to deal with these. Thirdly, Christians are not alone in their race. We have each other. We're to meet together and pray together and encourage the saints, just like our memory verse this week taught us. But best of all, Christ is with us. 
Last lesson. There's a lost world out there that needs Christians to run the Christian race. Because eternities are hanging in the balance. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody today that needs to get in the race. You know that you've never come to Christ. You've never been born again. You've never been cleansed of your sin. And you don't have new life in Christ. You're not even at the starting line. But the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you about that. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to step out of the pew where you'll be standing. Come down the aisle closest to you. And myself or one of our other pastoral staff members will pray with you. Are there Christians today that need to get back in the race? Maybe you've grown lazy, half in, half out. Your your heart's not been in it. Maybe your passion in the Christian life needs to be restored. Ask, Ask him to do that, to stir your heart once again. Get back in the race and and run it with all of your heart. Maybe there's others today. You know you're a believer, but you know that there's some hindrances and sins that have crept in. And you're not running your race the way you ought to be. And it's hurting your testimony. Lay those things aside. Ask for his cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've grown discouraged or burned out. Maybe you've been paying attention to the criticism or gossip of others. You need to put your eyes back on Jesus instead of on on man. Which of these do you need to do today? Let's stand, please. Let me pray for us as we stand. Father, we thank you for this passage. A a classic passage in the New Testament. It's so hard-hitting and yet so encouraging at the same time. Lord, help each of us to hear afresh these words in our hearts and our minds. And to realize that it is a marathon race that we're in. We do need to run with patience and endurance. And we do need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God, forgive us for the way we let things creep in that hurt our Christian race. I pray that people would be dealing with those matters this morning. And Lord, I pray for that one who needs to get in the race. They need to come to Christ. Because your Holy Spirit's been speaking to them about this. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. May they come to Christ today. Others perhaps who need a church family. Because we're to have a family that runs together in this spiritual race. Lord, I pray that you would move them perhaps to become a part of this church family. That we can hold one another up in prayer and in encouragement. Speak to each heart according to your will. I pray in Christ's name.